Hi, and welcome to That's So Glam podcast. I'm Miles Schillingford, and you'll be hearing me with a variety of other people talking about topics and stories which I think are just oh so glam. Hi everybody, welcome to the new episode of That's So Glam. I'm so excited to have this next guest with me. A little bit iconic, just to say, you know, they might have like a small following on Instagram, maybe just a small following, but nonetheless, still a following. So I'm so glad I got with me here today, Daniel Mahon. Hi, Daniel. Hello, hello, hello. How are we? <laughs> I'm not too bad, not too bad. You know, lockdown, still so in England, so pretty shy, mm. but yeah. <laughs> Living La Vida walking every day. Honestly, honestly, literally walking, walking, walking. I think I've probably walked to fucking China and back the amount of times I've been walking. So (laughs) get those Fitbit badges. Get those Fitbit badges. That's it. Anything just anything just to like make my day happy, honestly. It's a small wins right now. But um (laughs) yeah. So I'm here with Daniel today, listeners, just to talk about body image, a bit of fashion, a bit of glam, and like how that sort of relates into like queer culture as well. So just to get the ball rolling and like jump into like, the first sort of like era of discussion obviously I know but for uh, the people who are listening Daniel did you care to explain like how you use Instagram and what Instagram does for you really? Um, I mean I'm a bit of an Instagram whore in the sense that I just my Instagram my Instagram for me is kind of like a very public diary I put whatever I'm doing on it I mean like if I'm all these lockdowns like every day I will post like 20 stories of me just walking around London and like the random things that I see and the cool things that I see I also spend an obnoxious amount of time cooking on Instagram um which I didn't know people were actually interested in until the first lockdown and I did it like once and everyone's like why haven't you done this before so you just cook and just put up a photo of it when it was done um but yeah I think for me like Instagram I I use it just a lot just for my own like collation of stuff like I don't really care so much about like having an aesthetic on it or anything like that or even like my stories when I am doing stuff like cooking or anything I just do not go back and like edit them all because everyone says to me oh my god make a YouTube channel do this like full time and I'm like I've got zero effort to actually go and edit them I'm like I record them once <laughs> sometimes twice if I drop something and then they get posted to my story and that's it I'm like no filters no nothing I'm just like I just do not have the effort to put in to actually do it so I mean yeah for me my Instagram is just very basic in that sense um but yeah cool cool so um personally obviously I know you quite well because we've got a quite good friendship and stuff but for the people out there who obviously might not know you um you can explain sort of like how you got into the more like fashion sort of sense sort of like how you did like fashion at uni and things like that yeah so like my my kind of interest or foray into fashion started how old am I now I'm not gonna admit that um <laughs> like 10 years ago we'll say ten, we'll say it's say eight years ago let's, let's be generous say eight years ago um and I was living in Ireland still and I was in Irish equivalent of like first year of sixth form college and I ended up being asked to show a collection for Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week in Ireland um which I did um very daunting at the time not having kind of anything ready I was actually had contacted them regarding kind of covering it for a style fashion magazine that I used to write for as a contributing uh, writer uh, but they asked me would I be interested in submitting a collection. As I'd said, I was actually going to study 
fashion in the UK eventually. So I started off with that and that kind of launched my career. And I think I'm, I always say it that like Ireland is such a, a nurturing place for people working in kind of creative industries and smaller industries, whilst they don't have the most opportunities in terms of, you know, if you're in fashion or music or anything like that, there obviously isn't the biggest market, but because the the kind of the market is so small, you get to meet a lot of people very easily. And it isn't as kind of elitist as you might find in places like London or New York, where it's obviously very hard to break into that sector if you're not in it. Whereas for Ireland, like once I showed my collection, I was like welcomed by so many people. I met so many amazing people, so many people who I still see to this day, who are designers in London, designers in New York. And I still like I'm in touch with them. And they, you know, were checking in on me the whole time when I was going through university, asking me how it was going, if I was needing internships or anything. So, I mean, I was super, I was super lucky to have that kind of support because I, so I went to study in London and what I studied was tailoring. So I didn't actually do fashion um, because I can't draw. I don't design. I'm, <laughs> it's really crazy to say, like I went to fashion school and I don't draw things, um, but I hate, like I don't do avant-garde. I love the idea of Alexander McQueen and, you know, all that kind of style, Hussein Shaline, but I don't do avant-garde fashion. I do very, very, you know, contemporary, but still suiting shirts, trousers. I like to put small little details into them that are kind of modern or make them kind of adaptable for the modern lifestyle. Um, but I never was big on designing. So for me, you know, fashion school, I say fashion school, but it was, it was bespoke tailoring. So just imagine, you know, lots of old people sitting in rooms sewing suits was basically my existence in uni, uh, which was very enjoyable. But <laughs> it was, I mean, it's my general fashion sense. And well, it, it was, um, I always wore suits, shirts, waistcoats, going to uni every day with jeans. I didn't wear like a full three-piece suit, but and I'd wear suit jackets out all the time in the summer, like vintage light ones. And then in the winter, other like heavier oversized ones. But um, like my, my general wardrobe is quite formal, I think, for a day to day basis. People are always asking me where I'm going to. And I'm like, just going to work. And like I change at work into an actual suit. And they're like, God, OK. Enjoy. OK, so say that then. Describe to your listeners what you're wearing right now. Um, <laughs> Okay, I'm so glad that there's no photograph again because you've just thrown me under the bus. Uh, thank you very much. I am actually wearing a shirt, funnily enough. I am wearing a shirt. I will. I have can vouch listeners, he is, he is. It is a very, very oversized um, corduroy shirt that I got in first year of uni that would cost me one pound. So, I mean, I'm going to take it. I mean, I don't want to pay for price if I don't have to. No one says like suiting or tailoring has to be, or luxury even has to be expensive. There's always a way to get what you want at the price you want, because then you really want, really want it. Okay, so we're not going to talk about the sweaters then, the sweatpants, no? Are we going to move on? No. Okay, cool. That's glam. That's glam. We can move. <laughs> and I was going to put on jeans, so I said there's no need, because this is a podcast. Anywho. <laughs> but, um, yeah, moving into that, and um, so we're talking about, like, tailoring school and things like that going into sort of like the more um body image sort of side of things do you find like on Instagram it is very much a particular especially in terms of like for gay men Instagram sort of gives a very in my opinion and obviously you know this is why I've got you on the show today like on your opinion of things um do you find it in a way that it's very much a narrow sort of view of what a gay man should look like or do you, does your explore page is a bit different to my way you see a bit more variety of things and maybe from like a tailor's point of view how do you see that as like 
a gay man who did do tailoring and sort of line that up with your social media interests? Um, okay, it's like, I should have written down the, the different points that just popped into my head to go through them all one by one. That's all right, don't <laughs> worry. We'll, we'll, we'll digress and we'll regress. Anyway, um, first things first, the Instagram. I mean, personally, my Instagram Explore page is like that of uh, an octogenarian who used to probably work in a, a National Trust property because all of my Explore pages is on food and old houses. And then the occasional hot boy. And admittedly, when the hot boys do pop up, they are that specific type. But I think my Instagram feed from the people I follow is not like that. I think there's a misconception that because what comes up on your Explorer page is, you know, the certain type of the the LA gays with the body and everything. And, you know, all the people, basically anyone who would feature on gays over COVID would probably come up on your Explorer page. Let's be realistic. Um, But I mean, my feed is very different because I follow quite a diverse group of people in London in terms of the queer scene and queer spaces um, I'm here living here nearly over five and a half years now so I mean over that time I've met some amazing people who I first used to just see like in nightclubs and it's like oh my god I'd love to know this person and now I know them as like someone I consider a good friend and um, so I think like when I look at my personal feed of what pops up from people I follow and that they post I see a lot of you know you have non-binary and um, Queen's got you know femme queens you've got masculine um guys I think I've got a little bit of everything there and I mean I think it is something that's really now being challenged you know that you can be non-binary and present masculine you can be non-binary and present feminine you can be you know however you want to kind of present yourself without people then having an issue with it I mean it's still got a long 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 way to go but I mean I think I'm seeing more of it definitely that people aren't I mean it's it's kind of sad to say that like there was nearly a binary between people being a man and people being like a drag queen whereas now you have you know like drag kings and you've got very feminine looking drag queens you've got kind of more masculine looking drag queens like I think it was um Crystal who was on Drag Race last year who had her chest hair and you know that was wasn't an issue I mean it was something they hadn't seen before but it wasn't something that you know threw people off yeah um but in terms of body image I mean I won't say I've struggled with body image because like it's never been that bad I mean I always think if, if I was so annoyed with my body I would do something about it and I haven't really ever put active effort into doing it so I mean um but like I definitely put on a large amount of weight from moving to London I mean when I moved here I was very 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 skinny and like I, I didn't notice it over time because it crept in really, really, really slowly. But in the space of like, I'd say two years, I put on about 20 kilos. So that's like 40 something pounds, depending on which way you work, um, <laughs> which is, I mean, a significant amount of weight. But also, I mean, I was really, really skinny when I moved here. I was like 19 and I was like tiny, tiny, tiny. I mean, there's suits that I had made back when I was doing tailoring that like no longer even come close to fitting me and it's not even because I've gotten like some weight my shoulders have just grown by like three inches in width I think I just had a very late growth spurt which was very annoying because you know those nice things that are in your wardrobe that you always love to wear and then you can't wear them anymore and there's no way you're going to be back in them but you'll never throw them out mm, yeah it takes up half my wardrobe space but I mean I think like at, after a while I just came to terms with it and I was like it's actually fine it's like I am what I am. And again, I think coming back to body image and clothes, I I was friends with a few different people like in 
who'd be kind of, you know, Soho drag queens and well-known people, club kids there. And I used to go out with them and they would all be dressed up to nines, makeup, hair, face, body, snatch waist. And I like would come out wearing a suit trouser, like a silk shirt that was like unbuttoned or whatever, and like a pearl necklace or something and a blazer. And none of them ever had a problem with it, which I was always like, oh my God, I'm going to be such a weirdo. They're going to be like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, we're all here dressed up. And this guy just looks like he's put on a pair, like robbed some pearls from a woman in Soho and just left his office. But I was like, every time I did it, I put on a little like change up the shirt or whatever. And every time they're always like, oh my God, I love what you're wearing. And I was like, then I was kind of like, okay, these people are, you know, incredibly well known in this community and around the world. Some of them like have performed all over the globe. And I'm like, okay so they don't see a problem with this and so why should I see a problem with it but I think it was just because I didn't feel secure enough in it in comparison to them because I think we're always comparing ourselves to other people so especially when you're surrounded by all of that it's like okay this isn't like you know we're not playing on the same field here but actually they were like yeah this is like what you wear and this is the you wear it well quote RuPaul I think (laughs) there somewhere um but yeah so I mean I think it was something that I gradually just became felt more and more comfortable with it I think in the last year what I've worn I still wear the same things I used to wear but there's a lot more things now that I wear that I would never have ever envisaged myself wearing and I was like wow this isn't me like this okay in what sense oh there's just like certain things that I always like the look of and I was like oh no I could never I wouldn't wear that because it's just like because of this or that reason like I mean they were all just like tiny reasons again that were totally inconsequential but at the time I was just like no 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 like my housemate moved out last year and she just like left a load of clothes and she was like here take this jumpsuit and I was like oh my god stunning um so I, I looked in and I was like this is basically like a pair of black trousers with a high waist because it's impossible to find nice high-waisted trousers for men um, and I was like, and there's a top and it's low cut. So I was like, this is basically like wearing a shirt tucked into a suit trousers I normally do. But I was like, it's just one piece. The only difficulty is trying to go to the bathroom and then don't appreciate having to unzip other men out of their clothes in the toilet like girls do. So that was an issue yeah. I encountered first time around. Um, but I wore it. <laughs> and I think like it was one of the most like messages I think I've ever gotten on Instagram from people like it was on my story and like sending me like, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh my God, this is incredible. Oh my God, I love this. And I was like, wow. And like, I don't... I don't rely on Instagram in that sense like just that if, if I put up a cute outfit and like no one texts me about it I wouldn't be like oh my god everything's gonna look ugly but like it was a more of an affirming thing that so many people took hmm. the time to reply I was like okay so I wore that and then there was a few other things that I was just like changed myself up with and I had like some neckties and I started wearing them during the summer because I was like oh this is cute I was like wear this out for the day and then a really good friend of mine got me a lovely one for Christmas which I'm now like head over heels for so yeah but I think I'm just trying to it's it's that during lockdown especially I found I'm like look I'm gonna get dressed up every day like every day and just even if it's go to the shops or to walk around like I live in Canary Wharf so like if it's just a walk around Canary Wharf I was like I'm gonna get dressed up just for the sake of it because then I am getting out of the house I mean as you've lovely illustrated to the listeners <laughs> I'm not dressed up today because I'm um, spending a day at home cooking Sorry. because I've got three <laughs> massive dinners to cook this weekend. So today is a day of prep work and cooking and food prep. So um, uh, that was no need to be getting dressed up just yet. But actually, I do need to go to the supermarket, so I'll get dressed up later. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. I think it's just like the little things. I like how you touched upon as well, like how it gives you that sort of platform, even though, you know, Instagram can be shitty 
it can be triggering for some people in some sense and like not in terms of just like body image but for like loads of different things so I'm really glad like you sort of highlighted to listeners that it can like do good and it could like it it's a tool for empowerment as well like you know if you want to wear something and you feel good you know you want to share it because fuck it you know it's not even to do with like self-validation yeah. or vanity it simply can just be due to that you know you want to feel good and you want to show it like I said, my Instagram at the moment is just like 25 stories a day of me walking around central London. I'm sure no one gives uh, a flying about it. But I'm like, yeah, it's there. And then I can go back and look at my archive next year and be like, oh my God, I remember when we were locked in and I used to do all these cool walks and now I work like 50 hours a week again so I don't get to do these and then make time for the little things. So I think, yeah, I just like Instagram, I think if you don't, I mean, it's hard, it's hard, it's very easy to say, oh, just don't think about it or whatever. But I mean... I think when you kind of can just separate yourself, I think, or separate your contentment from what you're putting out in social media in terms of Instagram or Twitter or whatever, I think it changes you a lot. Obviously, people, some people rely on Instagram for a business, for their job, for their income. That's a very different story. But I mean, for people who are just putting stuff on their Instagram for personal reasons, it should just be that, I think, for personal reasons. So regardless of how many people liked your photo or how many people comment on it or all that kind of thing I mean I see the like the people who are let's say four or five years younger than me in their early 20s and they'll post a photo and like all of their friends will be there to like hype them up and like 30 40 50 comments in their photos I'm like I've had my Instagram like nearly 10 years I'm like half the people who followed me when it first started do not even have Instagram on their phone anymore so I'm like you see it now I think with like people who are slightly younger that their friends are there a lot more to like hype them up with like comments on their photos and which I think is such a good thing to do but then the convicts can happen is if something they post something and it doesn't get all the same amount of engagement that normally gets people then go oh my god like what's wrong with this what's wrong with me so I think it is like it's a very difficult it's a double-edged sword and like you're very delicately balancing between the two sides of that and trying to figure out which is the the kind of the best bit or way to go for it and it's kind of interesting you said about like a double-edged sword and things like that because the sort of like it leads in quite nicely to the thing I want to talk about next and it's like the sort of how do you distinguish especially not even on Instagram but more on like dating apps as well like Grinder and Scruff and things like that what's the difference between being vain and then posting something for self-validation how would you as like say if you was to use an app or was to use Instagram or things like that how would you separate the two like how would you find someone who's like vain and you can see right through it mm. whereas someone is literally just posting just because they want to feel nice I mean, I always, like, if I come across someone's Instagram, I'm like, oh, you know, this guy's attractive, whatever, and I go to their Instagram, and every single photo is just them, like, on their own or in outfits. I'm like, okay, you've obviously gotten someone to take this photo. You're obviously good friends. Or, like, when they're on the beach, I'm like, you did not just go to, like, Puerto Vallarta on your own. I mean, you were there with someone. Like, I that, to me, is just, like, I'm like, how can you post only photos of you? I mean, okay, maybe that's what you want to do in your Instagram. Again, personal choice. You have your own agency to choose that you post. But like, I just, that to me would be a red flag of someone who doesn't have like any selfies with their friends or any nice photos even taken with their friends that every photo is them, either a selfie they've taken themselves or like a photo someone has taken of them, but they're on their own, like standing with a nice background or standing in a nice outfit. I'm like, that to me is like red flag central. I'm like, you've got nothing going on in your life apart from you. Like that is in my eyes quite self-deprecating and I'm just like that to me I'd be like mm, no thanks like I mean they could be an absolutely lovely person 
but it just to me it just screams alarm bells when I see that I'm like do you feel like it feels like very superficial not even superficial I'm just like you only fill what you're like putting on social media with yourself and that's it and like I said, I'm sure they're they could they are probably lovely people but it's just the fact of like my Instagram's a hot mess my Instagram is just literally if anyone ever sees it you'll know exactly either what I've eaten what I've worn or where I've been that week because that is all it is like it's that's it and I mean it has a little bit of like variation and obviously at the moment I mean at the moment understandably if you're taking photos on your own because we're not taking photos with anybody fair enough but I think it's just like if someone only if it was a professional Instagram for something else if it was their modeling one I absolutely understand that but if it's their personal Instagram just for Instagram I'm like I just it to me would bring up red flags because I'm like you you know not that again you can have the convex argument that you say oh why should someone have to post you on their Instagram to show that they appreciate you or your good friends you don't have to but I mean I'm sure all of his friends probably have photos of him on their Instagram I would think yeah because like even got like a quote here from Attitude magazine and they said like they did like a survey about body image and it's like 84% of people said that they felt intense pressure to have a so-called good body and the thing is what does that mean to you especially I mean that is obviously I obviously in terms of good body that they're speaking of I would is is a standardized fit body I mean you know they don't need you know somewhere between like Tom Daly and Jason Moanaman or whatever his name is probably is what that that is their, their ideal good body they're discussing there but I mean for a lot of people obviously people have very different types I mean not everyone wants you know some guys want to date someone who could be look like their father some guys who want to date someone who could look like they could be their son you know it's very broad so yeah the grinder subcategories um but no I mean I I think as long as someone is healthy like I don't think you know their body should be an issue because whilst you can obviously be overweight and obese and be very unhealthy you can also be absolutely ripped and shredded and be extremely unhealthy because you're supplementing your meals with like high protein shakes because you need like extra protein because you're gymming like 14 hours a week so I mean I think the the biggest issue is that someone who's got like a little bit of belly fat or whatever isn't looking after themselves or isn't that healthy and then people go oh look at this guy with like I mean you can count his abs through his t-shirt from the other side of the club he's obviously so fit he obviously gyms so much but it's like what else is he doing to his body that's damaging it now that in the future won't be beneficial to him so I think it's a whole it's a whole change of idea not just aesthetically what we think is fit or good or attractive or healthy it's actually the you know the science behind it that the person who maybe doesn't work out so much but is eating I mean I cook a lot and I eat quite a well balanced diet minus the alcohol um (laughs) but I mean I cook actual food every night like fresh meat veg everything from the market kind of thing and I mean I still have a bit of tummy fat because I you know I go out and have beers or whatever or wine and I mean I'm not doing enough exercise to counteract that and that's fine but I mean the people who are also going out and they but they'll drink at the weekend but because they drank they're then going to gym for like four hours on a Monday to get rid of it I mean that I think is physically unhealthy and also mental mentally unhealthy so I think it's a very it's a much 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 broader issue than just kind of saying what's a good bod what isn't a good bod and like what's aesthetically I think people need to look past the aesthetics of it and actually consider the the health ramifications that are there for the future. 
100% agree on that. It's just like, I feel like we are becoming more of a, I hate to use this word, listeners, and I know you lot probably hate it as well, but like to be the woke generation that like, you know, we see bodies in all different types now. And I feel like even how fast fashion and especially more commercial fashion as well is sort of helping perpetuate, there are different body types and things. Sort of like, you know, you've got companies, for example, like Gap or Boohoo or ASOS or rest in peace, Top Man, who, you know, are sort of trying to ever so slowly align themselves with the ideologies of their target market where they're sort of realizing that, okay, you know, not everyone is blimmin' a size small or is, is a 24 waist, you know, and it's more varied. So I feel like we are slowly, slowly getting there. But like, in terms of like what you know, since like going to like tailoring school and stuff, do you feel that in more sort of high fashion um, spheres, do you feel that that is changing or is it still sort of playing catch up? I think, again, there's two answers to this question. If you look at haute couture, size does not matter because they will make, it is made bespoke. So same as bespoke suiting. It is made for exactly one person. And I mean, if you look at the clientele of Savile Row, which obviously tailoring and suiting, most of those are, middle-aged quite pot-bellied politicians or people of that kind of ilk so I mean they make suits them it's not an issue so I think haute couture you know when you see you know let's say people uh, plus size actresses or um, like models or musicians on catwalks they're not going down there naked someone has come and made them garments so I think for them it's very it is accessible because obviously the, the house wants to be seen to be working with people as well of different shapes and sizes ethnic backgrounds etc etc uh, but obviously the issue is everyone cannot afford a 12,000 pound Savaro suit or you know a 20 grand Ralph and Russo dress for going out on a Saturday night you know so um, I think then the issue is I, High Street is accommodating it more but I mean then we have the issue of High Street is so unsustainable I think people need to shop a lot better I mean, I, I've got stuff in my wardrobe. I wore a coat going out yesterday that I got when I was 12 years old. I still have my coat now. So I think people, and like I said, this was like, this shirt is was one pound, but it was also vintage already. So I mean, it's probably already 10, 15 years old before I got it. And I've had it five years as well. And it cost me a pound. I mean, the price there is okay because it is been already worn and had its lifetime. So it's getting redone again. But I think people often, I mean, I think when we came out of one of the lockdowns in Ireland, they had Primark pennies open for 24 hours. I was like, what does everyone need from Primark? Yeah, same in the UK. <laughs> what does everyone need? They need 24 hours of Primark to get things like, okay, I understand. Go to Primark, grab your socks, you know, grab some bits like that. The, the simple things. When you're going on holidays, grab your toilet, you know, your bite-sized toiletries. Cool. White t-shirts. Great. I'm not going to, I'm sorry, I'm not going to spend 30 quid on a white t-shirt from a shop. But I think people need to look at what I always go back to for everything I think that I ever buy is cost per wear. And if you buy a t-shirt from Primark, three quid, let's say, and you wear it like twice and then you wreck it, but you don't care. Um, but then you buy one from like some of the more expensive, but you know, you wear 20, 30 times because it's not higher quality, but it's only cost you 20 quid. You're actually, it's coming out cheaper per wear. Um, and there's a woman I follow on Instagram. Uh, she's Irish and she's like, her litmus test for clothes is the 30 wears. If you have something and you haven't gotten 30 wears out of it, I think like the space of a year, it then 
it doesn't consider it to be a good purchase. Um, I mean, I know there's some things that I've bought and within like two months I've had 30 wears out of them because like I will try and buy effectively. I have a massive wardrobe of clothes, but again, some of them I've got are seven or eight years old, some of the shirts and things in there. And they're still, again, I bought with intention of having longevity and they still fit me in terms of size and they have lasted, I think, the time. Um, but again, it does come down to economy and being able to afford that. But That's I think that people think about, oh, I went on to ASOS and did 40 pounds here. And then two weeks later, oh, I was going on a night out. So I got a dress from ASOS for this. Da, da, da. And oh, I was going someone's birthday. So I got this. I'm like, if you added all that together, like how much have you spent on ASOS in the space of maybe a month or two months? Could you not have gone out and gotten two or three nice things rather than like 10 things? And out of the 10 things, you were only going to wear five of them more than once or even two of them more than once. This sort of also goes back into sort of the whole thing about Instagram and visual culture. Like, you know, personally for me, I have to admit, listeners, like I do buy a lot of clothes and, you know, I have stuff under the bed, which I may not have touched since like 2012. I have to admit that, you know, that's how it is. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people out there are just the same way. So, yeah. But um, yeah, so, you know, it's very much that it's hard because like you want to you want to be sustainable. And I think a lot of people now, especially through lockdown, have realised and woken up to the sort of fact, yeah, what I buy, whether it be anything as a consumer, what I buy and where I buy it from has an impact even even before it gets to my door. So it's kind of working. It's kind of working the way in which I think we need to change the culture from within. So therefore we can change the external factors. But no, I, I agree with you completely. And I think it's just, it is, you know, I might, it might sound a bit preachy of me to say, because I'm now going through my head everything I've bought, like, let's say in the last year or whatever. But again, I'm thinking about it and there's nothing I can think of that I've bought that I haven't worn at least 20, 30, 40 times. I mean, you know, you know me, Miles, and what I wear and how I used to wear stuff over and over and over and over again. And it's like, it was, you know, but I don't mind that it doesn't, again, it, like you saying with the Instagram thing, it doesn't bother me if I have two photos up with the same with the same outfit very rarely when I wear the exact same outfit there'll always be like a change in something small or whatever but I do try to buy more consciously and I mean there's brands out there that do stuff I mean there's a really good brand called Reese and this is like not ad not sponsored not promo but Reese sponsor me yeah no spawn (laughs) um but like their stuff is horrendously expensive I mean like a shirt there is like 150 quid like 120 quid maybe some of them are like 110, but they have sales. And I mean, my housemate the other day got a shirt from there that was 135 down to 35 quid. So I mean, 35 quid, not that much more expensive than a nice shirt from Topman or River Island. So, I mean, you're getting here good value, good quality, because they've obviously, they're not making the profit on it that they should be, but they've put in good quality in terms of production, ethically sourced production, ethically sourced materials. And you're getting, so I think it's also people's idea that like they have to have the most expensive thing and buying things at a reduced cost is like embarrassing or like shameful. Oh my God, no. Also for my cooking, everything I buy is reduced. I stalk the woman with the yellow stickers. I literally cannot remember the last thing I bought full price. I literally cannot, I literally, I just don't see the point. Like even if it's from like the last season, I'm like, if I'm going to save like 78% on Pull and Bear, Again, not sponsored. I'm going to save 78% because, you know, if I'm going to buy something, I might as well buy it at the cheapest price. And like, even if it is like, i.e. fast fashion from these sort of companies, I always do try to make sure whether it be like the textiles or sort of, it's somewhat sustainable. 
some people might say it is greenwashing in terms of like they're just slapping a label on it to make consumers feel better. But, you know, swings and roundabouts. On a lighter note, I guess, I guess you've been watching Drag Race UK. Have you not? Yes, no, maybe. Predictions. Who do you think's going to be in the bottom two? Who's going to sashay away? Who do we have left? We've got Bimini. We've got Tear Coffee. Yeah. We've got, or oh, who else have we got? We've got Ahura. Veronica Green. So, predictions, sis. What's the predictions? Mm, I don't know. I'm, I think, I feel bad to say it because I love her. Tea of Coffee is going to either absolutely rock it or she's going to, she's going to find herself in the bottom. No! I'm, I'm a Tea of Coffee uh, stan, absolutely. I mean, uh, her entrance look was questionable, but she's come a long way. And, you know, I think as a person, she does. I think a lot of people forget until the very end when you go, oh, they are the new, you know, supreme drag queen for the year. They need to then embody this person and be an advocate for people. And I think Tia Coffee has a lot of those traits. I mean, I think she's not a shady bitch and she's not disingenuous. And I think, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be upset if she won. And I mean, I am who I, who I would... You know, Work. going based off looks <laughs> and things, I would probably say Taste is gonna is gonna snatch that crown this year. I think Taste has got a, a, a long a long game ahead of her and she's uh definitely um I mean some incredible looks. I remember I think it was the blood one that everyone was kind of like astonished by, like drag oh, yeah. history. Um super sad that bottom two. Oh I yeah, think, bottom two. Who do you think bottom I two? Think tea coffee and maybe sister sister i don't know i just don't get a lot from her um i mean veronica green is i will say it the probably going down her story as the biggest catfish of drag race because she goes from that bow tie braces into that you know that wig and i mean it's a whole other person i think she's hiding a twin <laughs> somewhere in, this, in the set because i mean incredible um aurora i i'm not the biggest fan of I liked her her Essex last week. It, I will say it was very, very good, but I'm not um, the biggest fan. Um, but she is incredible. I mean, her makeup and her, her outfits are stunning, but just as an all-around, um, she just doesn't do it for me. She misses Mark. I kind of wish Ginny Lemon was just still here, to be honest. Big fan of Ginny. And me we're too. all about Bimini and or East London Vegan Queens because, you know, they are... Absolutely. I mean, I live in for long, long <laughs> enough all around the canals and such. Um, but yeah, no, Bimini is absolutely amazing. I think she, again, is one of those queens that kind of everyone looks at and goes, how, like, how is she a drag queen? You know, when she's out of drag. Um, but then when she's in drag, I mean, she puts on a show. She is an incredible performer. And as well, she's championing, champion, championing campaigning some incredible uh designers as well i can't remember the name of the guy um maybe like your story notes or whatever uh but who did it from east london who made her first entry outfit and it's completely vegan leather which i mean things like that i think is is really really good to champion local and small designers because drag race is such a platform that i feel people should really try as much as possible to promote smaller designers rather than the classic big ones that do kind of dresses for drag queens already um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of Bimini for that and kind of everything that she represents. Fab, so interesting. Honestly, listeners, when you hear this, 
put in the comments of the Instagram post who you think might even snatch the crown. Obviously, this is going to go out after the episode, so things might change, you know, the world changes as well. So, um, yeah, honestly, comment your predictions underneath the Instagram post of this episode. But, yeah, thank you so much, Daniel, for having me uh, be on the show. And have you got anything anything to plug? Anything I've to plug for the listeners quickly? plug at all. <laughs> you know me. I'm teaching online cocktail classes, so everyone come and listen. <laughs> we love that. Okay, definitely check out um, Daniel's profile. I'll put it in the um, episode notes of this episode. Thanks so much, Daniel. And thank you for You're being a guest on That's So Glam. Thank you very much. Thanks. See you later, listeners. Bye.